team, you did amazing this morning. Such good worship. Can we thank our worship team this morning? Great job. So we're just going to pray for Pastor Mark and Nina. Obviously, as Neil said, that they're over at Murrayfield this morning. And it's a big thing they're doing. They're casting the vision for 2022. And Pastor Mark and Nina are our senior pastors. They're out the front of our church. You would have seen them this morning as you came in. They're over at Murrayfield, but they loved you so much and they miss your faces so much. So we're like, nah, we're coming here this morning because we just want to see you all because they miss you. And so we're just going to pray for them and for the church at Murrayfield because they're part of our family. And we want the vision to go forth in power. We want it to find good soil. We want it to reap a harvest in Murrayfield because their success is our success. And so let's pray for that this morning. Father, we thank you for our senior pastors the gift that they are to us, Lord God, that you've graced them for such a time as this. And Lord, you've spoken clearly to them, a powerful and a strong word for this year. And so Lord, we pray that as the team is getting ready just there now, and they're just moments away from starting their Vision Sunday, that every heart and mind and soul will be open and receptive to the words from heaven this morning. We pray for courage and boldness upon everybody serving. We pray for Pastor Mark as he delivers the vision, Lord, that it go forth in power, that it be clear, Lord, that people grab hold of it and that it, um, that it produce a great harvest this year in Murrayfield. Lord, we're praying for souls to be saved this year in Murrayfield. We're praying for people to pass from darkness into life this year over at Murrayfield. And Lord, their success is our success. So we're praying for it this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody in Warner and online said, good on you guys. Awesome. Well, this morning I want to talk to you. It's kind of a part two of how to choose your words. So maybe back in January, um, I brought a message about the power of our words. And you're going to hear a lot about that this year. And it challenges that at the start of the year to be diligent in how we choose our words. And the words that we choose to speak this year. And we talked, didn't we, about... You know, when you're on your phone and you're trying to send a text message and your phone predicts certain words to you because of the frequency with which you use those words. And so I challenged and encouraged us to choose good words this year, to, to have good and healthy and faith-filled words this year on our lips and that and that, that was going to help us this year, and it will. But as I was preparing for this morning's message, I felt God asked me to... And put some legs on that, to put some practical steps around how do you do that? So we can all agree that choosing good words and choosing words of truth is a good thing to do. No one's going to pick false words this year. Well, I'm just going to pick a word that's totally way off base and is going to bring death and destruction to my year. No one wants to do that. We all want to pick words of life, words of truth. But how do we practically do that? And how do we do that with integrity? How do we not fall into the trap of what sometimes would have been called the blab and grab kind of uh, way of thinking where, you know, we can choose our words that we're going to have for this year. Why can't I choose, you know, I'm going to have a red Ferrari in Jesus' name. Or, you know, my landlord's just suddenly going to decide, you know, you've paid enough rent. You don't need to pay any more rent this year. How do I choose words this year with integrity and how do I do that well? And why is that important in the face of what's going on culturally? Why is the choice of my words important in the light of the pressures that are surrounding us at this current stage in our culture? And so 
this really is kind of a, a bit more of a practical message. It's more of a teach rather than a preach. And so this morning, my job is to try and help you understand why how we choose our words is important and how to do that well. And if you grab a hold of it, then when Pastor Mark comes in two weeks and preaches the vision to us, you'll already have some tools in your kit bag so that you can already put some legs on it. So when he's talking about the word for this year and what that's going to be and how you can be a part of it, you can think back to this and you'll be like, all right, I remember how to do this because Julie taught me how to do it. So does that sound okay? Awesome. So we're going to do three things this morning. We're going to look at how the culture that we're in at the minute, their worldview, how they approach the Bible. We're going to look at how a Christian worldview approaches the Bible. And then we're going to look at how you approaching your words this year and choosing words of truth is going to bring freedom and life to you this year. So those are the three things that we're going to do in order. And then hopefully by the end of it, you've kind of got some tools in your kit bag and you're kind of ready to go for Vision Sunday. So let's pray for that. God, thank you that you know every person in this room and watching online and you know what they need. And Holy Spirit, you've given me these words to say. So, Lord, I pray that you direct it to every heart as it needs. Lord, I pray against any distraction from the enemy that wants to shut down what it is that the Spirit of God wants to accomplish this morning. I pray that our hearts and minds are open and that we'll be responsive to the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to start with a quote from a famous um, kind of lay theologian and social commentator called G.K. Chesterton. He's a great guy. And he said this in 1926. We shall soon be in a world in which a man may be howled down for saying that two and two make four, in which furious party cries will be raised against anybody who says that cows have horns, in which people will persecute the heresy of calling a triangle a three-sided figure, and will hang a man for maddening a mob with the news that the grass is green. Now, he was ahead of his time, obviously, and he was... Seeing kind of how our world was going in terms of free speech and just the different pressures that were in society. And if we were to look at that quote today, that is pretty true. That some of the things that you can and can't say now and things that are socially acceptable and not acceptable to say, he was right. This is coming and is now here. I don't know about you, but sometimes when you watch the news or listen to the media or, you know, you're on Facebook and you're just consuming the news and different things, it does feel a little bit like the world is going crazy and a little bit more extreme. It can sometimes feel as you listen to the different reports and you're like, how, how have we gotten here? Like, how is this happening? How, how, how have we ended up in this situation? The world does feel to many people more extreme, more confusing, more unfamiliar than ever. And what's actually happening is something that was a coined phrase in 2016. It's called a post-truth society. And that's what we're now moving into. And it's defined by this, that circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. And if you think about some of the news stories and the different things that you would have heard of and seen in the media in just the past couple of years, that would be true. That sometimes it doesn't seem like objective fact, scientific fact, 
really plays any part in the, the normal discourse of what's happening because it's about emotion and how that makes people feel. And that can be very confronting if you've not grown up in that. If you're 45 or over, you're more likely to feel this disconnect. You're more likely to look at each other as you're watching the evening news and go, what? What am I watching? What am I listening to? I, what am I seeing? That's kind of more likely to be what you're feeling because you were raised in what's called a modern worldview. You're a child of the Enlightenment and the Reformation and the scientific age. And so you grew up in a system that helped you to believe that there is absolute truth. And a fact is a fact is a fact is a fact. You can't have alternative facts, as was said from the podium of the White House a few years ago. That's not a thing for you because you were raised in a world system that helped you know that there was absolute truth. And you might have these kind of disconnects and these tension maybe between your kids, or your grandkids, or your co-workers, or the, the people that you are around with because it feels like the world's gone a bit foreign, like you don't, you don't quite understand what's happening. If you're under 45, you'll be experiencing this differently because you've been raised in what has basically been a seismic shift in how the world and culture approaches truth. In the 1950s, there was a school of philosophy that um, started, basically, and their problem that they created was that they didn't like truth anymore. They rejected the notion of absolute truth. They considered it and thought, actually, no, well, we don't like absolute truth, and, and we're not going to have that anymore. And they started to look at the world through that lens of, I don't believe that there is absolute truth. And so when you do that, then what happened off the back of that was that they became critical of institutions and people who held power because they intrinsically believe that people who hold power want to hold on to it and so are incapable of change from the inside out. And so that's kind of, that was their two big things about consolidation of power. People who have power want to hold on to it and absolute truth is not a thing. Now in the 1970s, some people took those ideas and put legs on it and were like, well, if that's true, if there is no absolute truth and if all power is just trying to hold on to power and it's not being used kind of for the greater good, then the only real logical solution to that is to tear down the power structures. That's the conclusion that they came to. And so deconstructionism was born as an idea and as a thought that if the institutions like the police and the church and the government and the state and all the, any position of power is not able to change from within, then it should be torn down because it needs a fresh new start. And so they would find problems with everything because if there is no absolute truth, then truth has become an internal thing. The, the locus of truth is now not an external, eternal, um, absolute thing. It's a subjective, internal thing. So if I have a problem with something, then it's a problem for me, and then it becomes a problem for other people. And so it's what's called problematizing. You'll see this in the media all the time, where somebody, because of their opinion, their stance, the, the way that they've been raised, how they are, they have a problem with 
power and different ways of structures. And the solution is not to build and change. The solution is to tear down and to kind of try and start again. The problem with that is that anybody can decide that they have a problem with anything at any time because it's an internal position. It's not an external. You, you are the locus of truth. And so if you decide that you've got a problem with something, then so be it. And that way of thinking is pervasive in the media, in schools, primary schools, secondary schools, universities, humanities departments. And in 20 to 30 years, that way of thinking will be at every level of decision-making in our country and across the world, pretty much, in Western society. So all of our decision-makers will have been raised in this way of thinking. This sort of worldview, this deconstructionism worldview can be summarized with these thoughts. And Anthony's going to put them on the screen for us. You think like this. I am in charge. What I think and feel is my truth. I'm sick of being told what to think and do. There is no absolute truth, and all truth is subjective. You'd hear this in the phrase, well, that's your truth. The highest goal is kindness to others. You find that in lots of films at the minute. So in the recent Cinderella film, the whole mantra was, be kind and have courage. It's, it's, kindness is the highest thing now. Kindness is defined as affirming another's lived experience and their ways of knowing truth, because there's no absolute truth. So how you come and ex how you experience the truth, whether it's true or not externally, is now valid because it's an internal feeling. Because kindness is the highest ethic, truth is now individual and subjective and should not be imposed on another person. Unless, <laughs> the caveat to this is, unless your truth is now culturally not acceptable, and then we'll tell you that you can't have that truth and we'll not be very kind in how we tell you that you can't hold the truth that is true to you. That's kind of the, the other edge of the coin that they don't really talk about too much. And that's the worldview that unless you're raising your children with a Christian worldview, this is just what they will soak up in their school, through the media, through social media. This is just what is out there. It's what how young adults, unless they're being renewed by the Holy Spirit, is how they naturally think. It's how your co-workers are being conditioned to think. This is how it will affect how you approach the Bible. So if you have this worldview, this is how you now approach the Bible. I am in charge. What I think and feel about what I'm reading is my truth. If what I'm reading in the Bible doesn't appear to me kind, then I'm uncomfortable with the implications of it. I read the Bible now through the lens of power structures, and I need to be able to deconstruct what it says to make it relevant and palatable to me and how I think and how my truth is. If I'm uncomfortable with something or it doesn't ring true for my lived experience, I can pick and choose what I want to believe because it's my truth. That's the cultural worldview. That's what is happening now in our world, everywhere you are, and it is, has the potential to, as we are just immersed in it every day without realizing that this is what it is, it has the potential for our brains to be conformed to this. And for us, 
if we're not renewing our minds, if we're not being looking in the mirror of the Word of God and having the Bible read us, this is what can happen. But if we've said yes to Jesus, if we have bowed our knee to him, if we've made him the Lord of our life, if we've said yes to him and he saved our soul and we're a disciple of him, then we have a responsibility to approach the truth and to approach the Bible and to approach discovering truth in the Bible through a Christian and biblical worldview. That's the responsibility that we have. We don't get to just approach it however we want and however is comfortable to us. We have to approach it through a Christian worldview. And so here's some things to help us just kind of maybe swing that pendulum back and to help us make sure that we're doing, we're reading the Bible, we're coming to the Bible not in the way that the culture says is acceptable, but in the way that is a Christian and a biblical worldview. And this is our starting point. The Bible is a God book. It is not like other books. It may sit in a place in the library alongside other written works, but it is not like any other book that has ever been written in the history of humankind. It is divinely inspired. And it carries authority because its origins are in God. The Bible makes claims about itself. And you say, well, you can't really make claims about yourself. That's, that's like circular logic. But the Bible makes claims about itself that you can go and find out about, and you'll find that it's true. It's like if I say I'm a 37-year-old female born in, just, well, born in Manchester, emigrated to Australia eight years ago. I'm making claims about myself. Now, you could go and you could find out information that would tell you whether what I was saying was true or not. So you're allowed to make claims about yourself. But the Bible says about itself in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to do is right. And even that in in the cultural worldview, is an offensive statement. Because the fact that you could be wrong, the fact that you could have a wrong opinion, the fact that you could approach something and it not be right, that's now an offensive statement. That's now something that is not culturally acceptable because it's your truth and what feels comfortable to you. But the Bible clearly says not. It's here. It's divinely inspired. And its job is to teach us truth, the truth, what is right, and what is wrong. So the starting point is the Bible is a God book. We believe that truth is absolute, pre-existent, and exists outside of yourself. Truth is not a subjective thing. Truth is absolute. Something is either true or it is not. Pre-existent means it exists before us. So gravity existed before I was born. It did not just, thankfully, appear on the 13th of April when I was born and everybody was floating around for humanity until then and then everybody got to kind of stand when I was born. Now, gravity was pre-existent before me and until Newton discovered it, it was still pre-existent. All the laws were still happening. It was still a reality. It was an existential truth, but he just happened upon it when he got clocked on the head with an apple under the tree. Now, had we not discovered it for a few more hundred years, would not have made it less true. 
We just hadn't discovered it yet. That's what we mean by pre-existent. And it exists outside of the self, absolute truth. That means that whether I believe gravity is true or not, the forces of gravity will work on me. So I can name it and claim it that I am just going to walk off this stage and, and, and gravity will not work on me. However, gravity will work on me because it is not... I can have my truth that I can walk out and, and, and it will be fine, but gravity will still work on me because it's an absolute truth. It works on everybody, unless you're Jesus, and then, then he gets a free pass on things like that because he made the laws and so things like that. But absolute truth, pre-existent and exists outside of us. Whether we choose to believe something is true or not does not affect the truth of what that thing is. We believe this. We believe the truth of who God has made us to be is best discovered in connection with the God who created us and the community of believers that he places us in. We don't get to do this on our own. That's not the design of God. I am not my highest authority. I don't get to choose the, the ultimate decisions of what I do with my life because the Bible clearly tells me in 1 Corinthians 6 19 my life is not my own I don't I'm not the highest decision maker it's not me at the top of the pile in the decision making priority of my life it's actually God because he created me and so I have a responsibility to go to the creator and see what he says and I have a responsibility to work that out in community that he has placed me in and I don't get to change that whenever I feel like it, when it's not comfortable. I have to live within that. The Bible means what the Holy Spirit divinely meant it to say through the original authors. And this is getting more and more contentious these days. But we cannot make the Bible say whatever we want it to say. And sometimes our Pentecostal tradition has not been so good with this. The Baptists are awesome at this because they like Bible, Bible, Bible all the way. But sometimes our Pentecostal tradition, particularly recently, hasn't been so good at being true and holding to what does the Bible actually say. Not what do I want it to say, what not is it comfortable to say, not what do I, would I like it to say, but what does it actually say? And what did the Holy Spirit mean when he divinely inspired the person who was writing it? I have no right to make the Bible suit my preferences. I don't have that right. I'm not the highest authority. The Word of God is true, and so I have to come to it, and I have to read it that way. I could say it this way. The Bible is not written to me, but it is written for me. And what I mean by that is when Paul is writing and he's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he was not thinking about 37-year-old Julie in Brisbane having a really bad Monday morning and, you know, giving herself a little pep talk to be, no, come on, Jules, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul was not writing to me. He was writing to a specific group of people in a specific moment in time who were going through specific circumstances. And the Holy Spirit inspired that. And so when I listen to the Holy Spirit, when I talk to him, when I study, when I read, when I understand that Paul's talking to a group of people 
from prison. And he's encouraging them that they've seen him in the good times and in the bad times. And he's saying to them, you can do all things. You can do the good times and you can do the bad times through Christ who gives you strength. When I understand that, then it's written for me. Does that make sense? Then the Holy Spirit can then help me apply that truth to my world. But what I don't get to do is, because it's not written to me, Paul's not writing a letter to Julie. I don't get to then be like, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I'm going to the Ferrari showroom this week, and I'm just going to look the guy in the eye and be like, you have a red Ferrari with my name on it, don't you? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because he'll look at me and go, no, I don't. I actually don't. Go away, you crazy lady. That's what would happen. So we don't get to make the Bible mean what we want it to mean. The Bible means what the Holy Spirit meant it to say through the original authors. And it's through the goodness of God and the Holy Spirit, who the Bible says will lead us into all truth, that helps us to apply it to our individual circumstances. The last thing that we come to with a a Christian and a biblical worldview when we come to the Bible is this. When we read the Bible, we eat the whole meal, sprouts and all. Now, I love sprouts, so I'd eat all the sprouts because I cook them with bacon and maple syrup. And if you've never done that, you need to do it because it's going to change your life. But think whatever vegetable is just not your favorite that your mum overcooked when you were little and went all soggy and you had to eat. Might be broccoli. But we don't get to come to the Bible. It's not like a buffet where you get to wander along and be like, mmm, chicken noodles. I like that. Or some like beef ravioli. I'll have that. Oh, and now we've got something aniseed. I hate aniseed. We've got aniseed. What do you even have in a meal that's aniseedy? Fennel. Well, I do like fennel. There we go. Something that you really hate at the end. You then go like, well, I don't like this, so I'm not going to have that. So we don't get to walk through the Bible and be like, well, this bit I like, and this verse comforts me, and this I like, but this bit over here that I don't understand and feels uncomfortable and I don't really get... I'm just going to leave that. I won't read that again. I don't like that bit. It's not a buffet. It's a meal. And good children eat their whole meal. I can't cherry pick what I want. I can't dismiss the hard, the now controversial, the culturally unpopular, or the difficult things in the Bible. That's not what being a disciple of Jesus is. I have to believe, embrace, wrestle, with the whole of the inspired Word of God. Either it's all inspired or it's not. There's no like, well, this bit's a bit more inspired. I like the Psalms. I like the Proverbs. So that's like more inspired because, you know, it makes me feel good. And then we get to Revelation or Daniel, and it's all eyes and ears and wheels and things. And we're like, oh, that bit's not as inspired. No, no. It's all inspired. It's all profitable for teaching. It's all truth. It's all able to lead us and to teach us right from wrong. So what does that mean for you and me? And how does that, now that we've kind of heard that, how does that help us choose words that are true and choose words that are right for 2022? We're going to get our practical application from John 8 this morning. 
And I love this little section because really the people that Jesus was speaking to in this moment were struggling with some of the same things. They were struggling with some of the claims that he was making about himself. They were struggling because what Jesus was saying didn't fit the framework of how they thought it should be. They were struggling because Jesus was saying things and it was offensive to them. And it meant that they would have to change how they thought. And it would meant that they would have to change how they approach things. And there's this whole conversation, a long conversation that Jesus has with what's called the Jews and the Pharisees. And he has this big conversation with them. And they're toing and froing. And they're like, well, how can you say that? How can you, how can you claim that about yourself? And Jesus is just presenting what is the actual truth, the existential truth, the absolute truth. Whether they choose to believe it or not, it was still true. And we get this little section right in the middle of this chapter. So he's just talked about um, that he's the light of the world. We get some I am statements. And he's just, they've asked him who he is. And he's like, I'm from the Father. And if you really knew the Father, you'd kind of recognize me. So he's kind of telling them off a little bit. And as he's talking, the Word of God tells us that people started believing. They were like, okay. But then we get this fascinating sentence in John chapter 8, verse 31. It says this, To the Jews who had believed him, not the people who put their faith in him, because just a few verses earlier it says people put their faith in him. But he's now not talking to those people. He's talking to the people who had believed him. And there's a big difference. Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we often kind of cherry pick that bit, because that's a nice pithy statement to sew on a tea towel. You know, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Like we have it on a fridge magnet. It looks great. But Jesus is putting this in the middle of a really challenging statement. So people who believed him but didn't ha- hadn't put their faith in him, And he says, guys, if you believe me, believing is not enough. Believing is not enough because he obviously asked them to do something other than just believe. They had a worldview where Jesus didn't fit into it. They had a worldview where they didn't really understand how what Jesus was saying could mesh with everything that they'd learned up to that point. But they believed him. Jesus says to them, listen, believing is not the end point of faith. It's the starting point of faith. It's like, it's not the bit where we kind of, you know, go through the ribbon and we're like, woohoo, you got your gold medal. You believed in Jesus. No, no, no. That's the starting. That's literally the prerequisite to get on the blocks at the start is believe in Jesus. It's the beginning point. And then Jesus says to them, there's more to do than just believing me. You have to do something. And there's something that we have to do, which he says very clearly, is abide in my word. He's super clear about this. The more that we have to do, some translations put it this way, is to hold to his teaching. Is to remain, some translations say, remain in his words. Now, Lots of people in this moment believed Jesus. And there are lots of people in our world and in our culture that believe in Jesus. They believe he was a good man. They believe he was a historical figure. They believe he said some nice things. And people who believe in Jesus 
will often have one or two phrases that they like that Jesus said, and they'd be like, I like Jesus because he said things like this. And then, because they've cherry-picked off the buffet. And then they disregard everything else that Jesus said because it's uncomfortable, it doesn't fit what they like, it doesn't fit how they think Jesus should be. But Jesus says, if you want to have words, if you want to choose words that are true, that are going to help you in 2022, the first thing we've got to do is abide in his word. That's the distinguishing feature of a Christian. It's the distinguishing feature of a disciple, is that we abide in his word. Frequent reading of the Bible is an expected practice of a Christian. That's just a normal part of being a Christian. It's not something for just the super spiritual or the pastors or the staff or the youth leaders or, you know, the life group leaders. We expect them to do it. Yes, we do. But it's normal. It's a normal thing for a Christian to do is to read the Bible frequently. And the reason why that is, is because Jesus says it in John 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. This is Jesus' own words. Now, if you're feeling a little bit uncomfortable, that's okay. That's okay. Because it should make us feel uncomfortable. I've prepared this message and I was like, I need to read my Bible more. Because that's what Jesus tells me to do. He tells me to abide. I have a really abidden, abiding, aboden. Have I done the abiding? as much as I could have done. I don't know what the, uh, the tense is for that. Have I done the abiding as much as I could have done this week? Could I have abided more? Yes, yes, I could have done. And so if I want to be a disciple, then that's what I have to do. John 1 tells us that Jesus is the Word. That's why he's so passionate about this, because in reading the Bible, you're literally encountering the person of Jesus. John um, in John 5:39, Jesus says of himself, these are the scriptures that testify about me. So even the Old Testament that sometimes is a little bit confusing and confronting, and you're like, I don't really get what that's going on about. Jesus says of those confronting, confusing scriptures, they're talking about me. They're testifying about me. Jesus says explicitly of himself in John 14:6 that he is, and you'll know this, the way, the truth and the life. If you want to encounter truth, you need to encounter Jesus. If you want to encounter Jesus, you need to read the Bible. That's our primary way that we encounter Jesus on a daily basis. It would be so nice to have Jason and Rachel and the worship team. It might be a bit creepy if they were just in your bedroom in the morning. Jody, Light and Christy with the nice pads as you wake up like just bringing you in nicely to the day. And then they do like a little worship for you. And then as you're in the shower, like, you know, you're having a little moment and it's great and you can experience Jesus as you're kind of going through the day. That would be lovely, but it's not the primary way. The primary way that you and I can experience Jesus on a daily basis is by reading the living, active, sharper than a two-edged sword, inspired word of God, that every story whispers his name, Bible. That's how we encounter Jesus. If you want to know Jesus more this year, if it was a goal of yours at the start of the year, I want to know Jesus more, and that's a really safe, great, wonderful, good goal to have. The way that you do that, the way that you put legs on that, is to read your Bible more, because it's all speaking truth about who he is. 
So when we abide in the word, Jesus says that we will know the truth because Jesus is the truth. And he's saying everything in scripture is testifying about me. It's all talking about who he is. So when we know the truth, then the truth sets us free. So to choose our words this year well, to choose words which are true and are going to help us abide in the word. When you do that, you will know the truth. And the byproducts of that is that the truth will set you free. If you want freedom this year, abide in the word, know the truth, the truth will set you free. And so to finish, I just want to give us a really simple framework for how to choose those words of truth in 2022 that are going to bring that freedom. So the first is this. We've already said it. Abide in the word. That's the biggest thing that you can do this year to choose words which are true. Don't just, when Pastor Mark talks about Vision Sunday and is going to preach so well, and it's just going to be awesome, and your hearts and your spirits are going to be open, you're going to receive it, and then you're going to have to go and do something off the back of it, and you're going to have to choose some words. Don't just be like, play Bible roulette, where you're like, all right, words, here we go. And it'd be like something, yet you are near, O Lord, and your commands are true. Like, don't just do that. Choose something by abiding in his word. As you read the word more and more, the Holy Spirit will illuminate something to you. Something will catch. You'll read something that you've maybe read 20, 30 times and it'll become alive to you like it's never come alive before. That's what happens when you abide in the word of God. Something ignites for you. At the minute, I'm just compulsively reading through Psalms and Proverbs and Isaiah because I'm looking for a psalm for our baby girl. And why am I doing that? Because I want to be able to speak over her words of truth. Now, I could, I could choose something that is like nice affirmations. It'll be like, you know, you're powerful, you're strong. And she will be. She'll be awesome. Like, you know, you're beautiful and blah, 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 blah. And that, if I do that with her, she's going to grow up with great self-confidence. But I don't want her just to have self-confidence. I want her to know who she's made to be in Christ. So the only place I'm going to find that is in the Word of God. That's the words of life. I can pick nice words, but if I want words of life, if I want to bring truth, if I want to bring freedom, then this is the place that I have to go. And so I'm reading Psalms, and at the minute, I've got nothing. be really honest with you, I was up at 2 o'clock the other morning because I couldn't sleep. Neil's snoring away, doing great. And I got up and I was like, oh, I'll just read through the Psalms, see if anything jumps out to me. At the minute, it's not. I'm not panicked. I've got like 12 weeks left. It's all good. But I'm reading for that moment to be like where the Holy Spirit breathes on it, where he illuminates something where I'm like, this is it. And it may have some things in there that I'm not very comfortable with, but that's okay because he knows her. He knows her future. He knows what she needs. And whether I feel comfortable with it or not, is irrelevant. I'm looking for the words of life. I'm looking for the words of truth. I'm abiding in the word because I want to try and bring something that's going to bring freedom to her. So if you want to get your words of truth, if you want to find something this year that you're going to be able to put legs on the vision, abide in the word. The second thing is this, eat the whole meal frequently. Eat the whole meal frequently. Frequently. Don't cherry pick 
just your favorite bits out of the Bible that you like, but read and wrestle with the whole world, the whole word of God, because this is what develops our maturity. And I'm guilty of this as well, is that I stay away from some books because I find them confusing and I don't really understand. But that's an immaturity. I have to wrestle with it. I have to eat the whole meal. It's not just a buffet where I get to skip over Daniel and Revelation. I have to understand what's happening, understand what did the Holy Spirit mean when he was inspiring somebody to write this down. I have to go and find out about these things. And so if you find yourself just reading the New Testament and you've kind of been avoiding the Old Testament for a few years now, Get in the Old Testament this year. Read it through. Let it read you. If you're kind of not, I'm the other way around. I read more of the Old Testament. I should read more of the New Testament because I love the Old Testament. So I have to do the other way. I have to be like, all right, come on. Paul's letters. Here we go. Like, I have to do that. Read the whole thing. Eat the whole meal frequently. And a really good way to do that is to listen to it through an audio Bible. On your way to and from work, if you've got a commute, Get the Bible app, have it on audio, and if you're a quick listener like I am, you can speed it up, and so then they kind of read really quickly, but you can, you're getting it all, so eat the whole meal frequently. Third thing is this, the framework to help you choose words of truth this year. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. He's the one that wrote it. He's the one that knows what you need, so why would we not ask him to help us? John 16, 13 says the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. So if we're looking for words of truth, let's go to the one whose job it is to guide us into truth. He knows what he meant to say through the original authors, and he can help you apply it to your unique circumstance today and to do that with integrity. Just a real good um, safeguard to help you with that is this. It cannot mean something to you that it did not mean to the original listeners, the original readers of it. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me cannot mean I've got the right to go walk into a Ferrari shop and demand a red Ferrari because there were no red Ferraris and there were no car sales rooms at that time. So, so the Holy Spirit wasn't meaning that when he inspired Paul to write that down. So it cannot mean that. But that doesn't mean when we ask the Holy Spirit to help us know how to apply it, it becomes so much more rich. Sometimes we think that, oh, well, if it, if it can't mean to me something that it didn't mean to the person at the time, then it's sure it's going to be really narrow. But no, the Holy Spirit knows what you need, and he knows your circumstance, and he knows how to illuminate it, and he knows how to bring truth, and he knows how to bring freedom. It's so much better when we read with the Holy Spirit. Fourth thing is this. Wear the right glasses when you read your Bible. Now, I'm not talking about your reading glasses, but your worldview matters in how you approach the Bible. It's really important, and it changes how you encounter the Bible and the person of Jesus. So be really careful, particularly if you're um, a young adult or a youth. Be really, really careful that you don't come to the Word of God with yourself as the highest authority, with a, a skewed understanding of what absolute truth is, and with kindness as your highest ethic. If you come to the Bible like that, you're going to encounter massive problems, and you're going to get yourself all tangled up in all sorts of knots. We have to approach the Bible with the right glasses. We have to come in humility 
knowing that I am not the arbiter of truth. God is. Truth is truth is truth. What he says is true. I have to submit myself to the word. I have to place the authority of the word of God at the top. I have to come to him and say, I may not understand it. I may not get it. That's okay. But I still recognize that it's true. And I encounter truth as revealed in the person of Jesus. I don't get to make the Bible say whatever I want it to say. That's not my job. I wonder if the band can join me. The last kind of framework, piece of the framework, the last kind of safeguard as we read our Bible and as we choose our words of truth for 2022 is this. That it's really good if we just do this in community. You can end up with really weird applications and understandings when you read the Bible entirely on your own and interpret it all on your own, that's where cults start. Every cult has started with somebody reading the Bible and being like, I have this amazing new meaning that nobody else in the history of the Christian church has thought about it this way. And 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 I've got no accountability and no checks and balances. And this is now what the truth is. That's how that sort of thinking begins. So when we read the Bible, if we're confused, which I frequently am, if we don't understand, which I frequently don't, if I feel offended, which we frequently should be if we're reading the whole meal, take it to a trusted leader and walk it through with them. Take it to your life group leader. Take it to somebody who knows more about the Bible than you. Take it to somebody who's further along in their faith and say, I've read this. It's a crazy story. I don't understand it. I don't get it at all. Can you help me? And they might say yes. They might say, do you know, I don't know either. And that's all right. Then the two of you go to somebody else. And then we all might end up in Pastor Mark's office going, wheels and eyes. What does this mean? And that's okay. That's a really healthy, good thing to do rather than me being like, well, this is what I think it means and this is what it means to me and this is how it's palatable to me. No, no. We read the commentaries. We look at what the church has believed for centuries and millennia. That's a good check and balance to help us understand. Well, I'm not just going to make up a new meaning. I'm going to look at what has the faithful interpretation of centuries of Christians. What have they said, if there's some bizarre new understanding that you've got, the chances are that that's not the Holy Spirit and it's what feels comfortable to you in that moment. But that's why we come with a posture of humility. That's why we come not with ourself as the highest arbiter of truth, not because of what I like and what I feel comfortable with and what's palatable to me. No, we come to God who has revealed Jesus through his word. And we say, Holy Spirit, help me encounter the risen Jesus through these words. Help me understand. Help me to put legs on this. Help me to apply this to my life today. Help me to live this out in power. Help me to read this so that this helps my co-workers. Help me to read this so that I can be a better mum or dad or sister or brother. Help me to eat the whole meal so that I'm not deficient and lacking in different things that I need, but I'm, I'm experiencing the fullness of what God has for me. And when we do that, we're going to end up with words of truth. 
2020. 